Amen. Thank you, Chris. Chris Slabel, one of our elders here at GPC. I'm grateful for you, Chris. Um, and um, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at GPC. Good to see you. Beautiful weekend this weekend. I hope you enjoy it in all the ways that you can. I want to thank uh, Seth Fisher for taking this place last Sunday. He did a great job. And if you haven't heard that, that's available online to listen to. So really grateful to Seth for uh, and so many people for their, their gifts and contributing um, here at GPC. Um, well, let me ask you, have you ever felt sometimes like you're just going through the motions of whatever? You ever felt that way? Um, sometimes I feel that way when, for example, I'm doing a home chore that seems to be needing to be done over and over and over again. Um, how many of you love mowing the lawn? How many loving lawn mowers do we have? Because some people are like that in the world who feel like, and there are some very strong believers in that. I, I see those hands. All right, I see that. So when I'm mowing the lawn, I'm thinking, Maybe, like a third of the way into this, if I feign an injury, my wife will take over so I don't have to finish doing this because it seems rather repetitive to just go through the motions. Because as soon, for those who love mowing lawn, as soon as your mower blade passes that blade of grass and you've cut it, it is immediately growing again, just so we're all on the same page. It is a job that is never done unless you have Roundup and can just put that on the back of the mower and take care of everything all at one time. But we have those things, right? Like I didn't buy a house so that I could mow the lawn every you know, other day. I didn't buy a house so that I could clean the gutters all the time. A similar project that I feel like, oh, going through the motions, how does this really help anything? Stain the deck, you know, that kind of thing. And going through the motions. Um, if you're a young parent, sometimes you may feel this way, especially with, a, with young kids. I mean, good grief. It, it, it doesn't take long to feel like, oh man, another diaper, another middle of the night uh, wake-up call, which I usually sup through, but Jen tells me are sometimes hard uh, to, to deal with. Um, it, it doesn't take long, does it, to feel like I'm going through the motions of life. And if we're honest, sometimes we feel that way about faith too, Right? Especially, let me be honest, especially if you've been in a church for a very long time or in a rhythm or in a way of doing things for a very long time, it can feel like, oh, okay, this is, this is what we do. This is just how it works. I come, I sit, I listen, I hear, I sing, I give, I move on, and next week we do the same thing. It doesn't take long to feel like I'm going through the motions. It happens personally, it happens in families, it happens in churches, it also happens in businesses. You know, believe it or not, uh, I think it was 2001, there's a company called Kodak. Ever hear of Kodak? Yeah, they were, they were established in 1880, believe it or not, in their heyday. You know how many employees they had? They had 145,000 employees, not to speak of all the vendors whom they helped um, you know, provide business for around the world, really. Well, Kodak, in 2001, they bought this little photo sharing site called Ophoto. Isn't that oh so good? In 2001, this is a brand new idea that the idea was, hey, of all those Kodak moments, people might actually want to share them with other people online. And so Ophoto came up with this idea of creating a photo sharing site. And Kodak was like, hey, we're in the image business. We take pictures, so why don't we buy Ophoto? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy that photo sharing site, and then we're going to try to figure out a way to help people easily print all those pictures that they want to print. How many of you today want to print the pictures that you actually take? Because at the same time that Kodak thought, this is what we have to do, grab the photo sharing site, and we're going to help people learn how to print things, over time, just a decade later, there was a small little startup company in 2012 when uh, Kodak was declaring bankruptcy. 13 people had established this little thing, just 13 people, this little thing that turned into this big thing called Instagram. And in April of 2012, Kodak sold Ophoto for $25 million, and Instagram, essentially, was bought by Facebook for $1 billion in the same month. Ironic, isn't it? That sometimes, 
When you're going through the motions of business, when you're going through the motions and the activities of life, you actually forget why you are here in the first place. Kodak kind of lost its way. Like, our job is to help people print pictures. No, it's actually not. It's how, how do we engage people with those pictures and the times they are changing, the forms are changing, and our activities... The activities we do can easily distract us from the mission that we should be on. And in a business, it's catastrophic when that happens. Even the best business leaders in our world, like Jeff Bezos, for example, on Amazon, he would reflect on Sears. He used to be a retail giant. They went bankrupt in 2018, um, declared bankruptcy. He said, listen, <laughs> Amazon won't be around forever. Most big, every big business has a life cycle. They're 30-year life cycles, not 100-year life cycles. So even people who are visionary think about what could be in changing markets recognize that unless you are changing forms constantly, you are going to fail. And so my, my point around all this is sometimes going through the motions, whether it's mowing my, my yard, changing the diapers, feeding the kids, running the business the same way, or experiencing church the same way, the activities of what we do to experience church, the activities of what we do to experience family, the activities can be a substitute for actually engaging and being critical of the mission of the church. I can feel like as long as I, in the faith world, as long as I come to church and hear great songs or hear a good message and experience something that I have felt the activity of the church, but the question underneath that is maybe, but are we in line with the mission of the church? It is not hard to substitute sideways momentum for forward momentum. It is not hard to think just because I've been busy and active, therefore I've been purposeful and intentional. It's not hard for the running back when they get the ball to run laterally trying to find an opening and get just as tired as running straight down the field for the purpose of scoring a touchdown. And so what I want to focus our minds on this morning is this slight little distraction that can happen for all of us as if you're a part of the church, and it is around the idea of how are we using the energies that we have. In particular, how do I see, how do I see the mission of the church? Is the mission of the church, the, the point of the church, do I come so that my kids can have a great experience with our kids' ministry downstairs? They're doing junior church this morning right below us, which is great. Do I come for that? And is that my primary um, barometer of church involvement? Or how about for my students, that they would have an incredible experience that, you know, that uh, Kevin is our, our youth guy, that he would just be incredible. And if they have a good time, then Kevin's a success. If they don't, then he's not. I mean, that could be a pretty simple thing. We could vote on that maybe every week. What do you think? Twitter poll? No? Okay. You know, is that my primary engagement? Is that how I'm going to see my church experience? Hey, the worship, did they sing songs that I like this morning? I mean, were, did they really kind of nail those songs that really speak to my heart or did they not? Like if they don't, I don't know if that was really awesome. Was it too loud or was it not? How about the message? Can we talk about the preacher for a minute? How about the message? Was he able to deliver something that really captured my heart and my attention and drew me to God to see things in a new way? Because if it was, that was great. And if not, then I don't know, like there's probably other churches around and maybe next week you can hit a home run, you know. So what is, what is, what is the point of the whole thing? And am I, when I, when I come, when I invest, when I'm here, am I in line with and, and moving along with the, the mission of the church, not just the activities? Because I didn't buy a house to mow the lawn, I didn't buy a house to clean the gutters, and I certainly didn't buy it to stain the deck. Those activities come with it, but there's something else for why I have a home, to provide this safe place to nurture a growing family. And the activities 
can distract me from the mission. The activities of the church can distract all of us from the mission of why in the world we are actually here in the first place. And so in this series called Good News, I want to jump right back in. And what I've said so far in the series is this in a nutshell, that the good news has always been designed to be good news for everyone living near God's people. That people who live near Christians should be like, I am so glad that there are Christians in my school. I'm so glad I have a Christian boss. I'm so glad that I have Christian co-workers. I'm so glad we just hired a Christian because they are going to be incredible. I am so glad that Christians are here because they mean good things. They bring good news. They are faithful, dependable, more honest than anyone else, higher levels of integrity, more forgiving, more great. Like, it's amazing to have good Christians here because this is who they reflect their God to be, that Good news is always meant to be not just philosophical ideas that Jesus saves, just believe in the cross, but actually making a difference in our healthcare system, in our real estate market, in our transportation system, and how we educate kids and care for one another in very tangible, systemic ways, policies, politics, etc. So to, to move on from that, I want to ask this question. If that is the case, that good news is meant to be delivered to the world, how does God get the good news to the world? What is his delivery method for that good news? If he has this idea of, I want to bring goodness and good news to all the people whom I've created, how does he deliver that to the people who live in this world? And my contention is, is this, is that the church is the delivery means for God to deliver the good news to everybody. That the church is God's delivery means for him to deliver the good news to people all over the world in every generation across every racial, ethnic, um, linguistic divide. That the church is the means by which God has this intention to deliver good things to people all over the world. Okay? Now, to get there, I want to go with you to a number of different scriptures. So I'm going to put them up on the screen because I'm going to kind of move through them a little quicker this morning. But I want us to get our minds around some of how God has worked and how this is um, shaped out over the course of history. So I want to go back to begin um, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, this is a passage that is foundational to this entire series on good news. In in the Old Testament, you should know this, maybe, maybe I said this before, but uh, in the Old Testament, there are ways that God connects to people, and they're called covenants. Um, and God makes a covenant with people. Uh, one of the first covenants is called the Abrahamic covenant. He makes a covenant with Abraham. It's like an agreement with Abraham uh, of this is how things are going to be. And in Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3, here's what we read about the Abrahamic covenant. I will make you, God speaking to Abraham, I will make you, make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he says this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this serves as the foundation for how the entire Old Testament and then into the new um, functions and grows and builds. So in the Old Testament, you might have heard... Um, of some strange laws in the Old Testament. There's dietary laws. There's something in there about tattoos. I'm not sure what that means anymore. You know, there's, there's weird stuff in there about how people should dress and can they eat shellfish or not. You know, I don't eat shellfish. By the way, if you want a good show, invite me over for shellfish. You'll get dinner and a show because I will light up with hives everywhere. Just a sidebar if you want that. So there's weird laws and rules in there in the Old Testament. And so what in the world is going on? So in the Old Testament, God says, people of Israel, come to me. You're going to be my special people, and I'm going to use you to deliver blessing to everybody. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to set up a nation. I'm going to set up laws, and the laws are meant to benefit even the people who are not with you. 
And so I'm going to set up cities that welcome people who are outcasts. I'm going to set up laws so that we can clarify clean and unclean, but not just to be holy and unholy, but also then to invite people in. I'm going to set up agricultural laws so that when we kind of cut off the corners of our field with our plow as we come by, we're going to leave the, the corners for those who are less fortunate and don't have what maybe you have, because we're going to do things differently. We're going to bless people with our agriculture, with our laws, with our systems, with our governance. We're going to be a little bit different. And so the entire Old Testament is built on this principle that there's a people who lived to be a blessing to everybody else. It goes all the way through, even when Solomon, you may have heard of that guy, one of the smartest people ever to walk the planet, he builds this temple and he has this incredible prayer of dedication to God about this temple. And in that prayer of dedication, he says to God, may everybody on earth, like may every person see your goodness through this space. That's my translation. That, that his, his prayer is not just that your presence here would impact our nation, but that through this temple, everyone would see your glory. That this place would be a place where everyone can see who you are. Because this is built, the foundation of the Old Testament is built on this idea that God's people are always going to be a blessing for everybody. And so in the New Testament, when we start coming into the New Testament, it is not a surprise to me that in every um, gospel, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are passages that if you've been in church, you've probably heard them called the Great Commission passages. There are passages which encourage and challenge, if not demand or command, that the church go into all the world. Go into all the world and make disciples. For example, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is one of our most famous ones. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why does, he say, why does Jesus say that at the end of his ministry? Because this is what God's people have always done. They are called in to go out. They're called in to go out. So therefore, Go, Jesus says. In, in Mark, he says a similar thing. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Like, disciples, I want you to go. I want you to get out. I want you to go do what you're supposed to do. I'm going to skip Luke for a minute and come back to him in a minute. But John chapter 20, verse 20. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's a very important idea right here. That as the Father has sent me, in other words, God the Father is a sending God. He has sent me, Jesus Christ is saying, he's sent me. Now, because of God sending me, I'm sending you. So this is just a sending tree going on. Like, he sent me, I'm sending you, everybody's sent. Everybody's sent. Everybody is sent who is a follower of Jesus. Everybody is sent. God the Father sent Christ, the Son, to send those who follow him into all the world. Luke writes it this way. In chapter 24, he says this. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with the power from on high. Luke wrote like part two or the sequel of Luke, and it's a book called Acts. And in Acts, he writes this, Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This, again, vision of you as followers of Jesus are going to be sent everywhere. 
Okay? I think the point is being made uh, throughout the New Testament that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a sent person because of who God the Father is, because of the way that he wants to work. You and me are called in to be sent out. To finish up in 1 Peter chapter 2, as we walk through the Gospels and into the letters of the New Testament, Peter writes this. Peter was a follower of Jesus, a disciple. He says, but you, and he does a great job of tying this into the Old Testament, you are a chosen people. Now he's kind of pulling people back to, this is who you have been. You, remember the Old Testament, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The point of it all, the point of being called, if you will, to God, the point of being drawn into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, the point of it all is that as a holy nation, as people who are built on the promises of Abraham's covenant all the way back, that you will be a blessing to all people, is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay? Now, with all that being said, with all that being said, here's what I really want to say. And you might say, why didn't you just say what you really wanted to say right away? Would have saved us the last 10 minutes. Well, because that's not the way it works. I want you to understand and feel and see the weight of some of what, what we read in the Scriptures um, to see how the church and how people who are followers of Jesus should think of their main thing, their main point, not just the activities of what we do, but the main point. And here's what I want to say. That mission is not an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. That, that mission is not an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. The distinction is significant to me, at least, and you can decide if it's significant to you. Here's the distinction. That an activity of the church, a couple things, with activities, compared to attributes, activities you can opt into or opt out of, right? I mean, we do that all the time. Hey, are you going to go to, fill in the blank, are you going to go to that car show? Are you going to go to that 5K? Are you going to go to that event? Whatever it is, it's an activity I can choose to or not because it's an activity I get to choose whether I go or, or don't go. I can opt into or opt out of. And sometimes, if I'm not careful, I can opt out of opportunities to serve and opportunities for mission because I may not like the leader. I may not like how it's going to be played out. I may not prefer the time of day that it is, or I might have a good reason. I might convince myself, well, if this were organized better, if this person were a better leader, if this thing were in another time of day, if I had more time, if I had more money, then I would. But I can't do the activity of the church. And the mission of the church is not an activity, but an attribute of God. So first of all, you can opt into or out of activities. Secondly, you can control activities, but you can't control attributes. I can control, I can get on top of activities. I can decide how far in I want to go. Like there are some activities that I can give a little bit of my heart to, but not the whole thing. I can kind of dip my toes in the water, but I don't really need to jump into the deep end. I can control how much I step into my fears and how much I step back from those fears with, with activities. But with an attribute, if indeed, if it's true, that mission is, is wired into the heart of God that has been wired into us, 
then I have to be careful that I don't put myself on top of the mission of the church and say, I will serve when, I will be involved when, I will give when, I will contribute when, but rather, God, who is it that you are wanting me to be as a sent person? I want to talk more about that later on. You know, I was thinking about this in my world of um, coaching. Some of you know I, I um, have coached um, junior high basketball, and that's been a lot of fun um, most of the time. And, uh, you know, I, as a coach, and many of you have been coaches and have seen coaches, you realize that there are some times when your voice doesn't carry like someone else's. That if there's a, a particular, um, you know, drill we need to run or a particular discipline of the sport we really need to kind of hammer down on, uh, you know, you can say what you want to all you want about the importance of uh, conditioning or the importance of the fundamentals, um, and, and that's good. And so we may, you know, run layup lines. We may run dribbling drills to try to get some uh, ball handling skills down, and that's all good, but it's an activity. It's an activity the coach has said that I should do. But then all of a sudden you get someone into your team who's been a thousand-point scorer, who's been maybe turned semi-pro or pro, and they start talking. They just start talking. And they talk about the successes they had, and they talk about the humble determination it takes to make it to that next level. And all of a sudden, the kids are like, oh, like, maybe, maybe I should do the layup line. And maybe, maybe I should work on my fundamentals. And the coach is like, that is what I've been saying the whole time. But when someone comes in whom you respect, someone comes in who's proven they've done that, why does your heart change? Not because the activity is any different, but because you realize that I want to conform to an attribute. I see something in them. I see where they've gone, and I see that there's something in them that has driven them. They have just been committed intrinsically to this. This is an attribute of who they are, and that attribute draws and pulls our heart to change, not just that I come and I dribble and I lay up and I move on. Dribble, lay up, move on, dribble, lay up. Why are you doing this? Oh, I remember when he came to speak to us. It changes hearts. Attributes are very different than activities. So here's what I'm, where I'm going. That as you come to GPC, as you come to church, as you're involved in whatever churches you're involved in, as you see the church, I, I want those who are part of churches, and my interest is in GPC, yes, but also churches across Lancaster County in our region, to, to connect with people who are outside of faith. I have this desire to see the church regionally continue to expand its reach for those who are outside of faith who have no hope uh, in Jesus at all. That's part of the desire just woven into me. But it, as we think about the church, for people who are in it, right, for people who see Jesus and who've had a response to Jesus, I want you, I don't want you, like I don't want me to get distracted by the side stuff. I don't want you to get distracted by the side stuff. I don't want you to get distracted to think, hey, I bought this house so I can clean gutters, mow lawns, and, and scrub decks. No, you didn't. You didn't come into the church so that you could have kids ministry, have a great message, and, and sing songs. And, and I didn't become a Christian so that I could craft messages and then evaluate them and then figure out where we're going here and where we're going. No, that's, that's just secondary. Those are activities. That can be sideways momentum if it's not directly moving forward on the mission that God is a sending God who has called me to be sent out to invite those who are outside of faith into a relationship with him. This is the good news uh, emphasis. And so I want you to come. Listen, I want you to come to church to be encouraged. Yes, please. I want you to be encouraged. But then I want you to be an encourager. 
in the week that follows. I want you to come to find hope because I'm telling you, you know this, sometimes you can't find hope anywhere else. I do want you to come find hope. But then I want you to take that hope and I want you to be hope-filled for the people whom you work with and are, are in class with. I want you to come when you're broken. And honestly, sometimes just getting into this building is a big task in and of itself. And you're broken and you feel like things are not going well and nothing is right right now in your world. I want you to come and feel healing and see who God is in that space. I really do. And then I want you to take what you have experienced and invite others who are equally as broken into the healing that you have experienced in the week in the season of life that follows for you. If you are weak and you've found strength in connecting with people who have encouraged you, spoken life into you, I want you to take that strength that you have felt and give that same strength to other people. I want you to come and yes, consume some, but contribute even more into the world in which you live. That is what I mean. And so I do hope that our kids' ministry does awesome for you. I do hope that our student ministry is awesome. I hope our worship team and the messages and everything that you experience is indeed great. I do hope for that. But the reason I hope for that is not so that they can be great in and of themselves, but so that they can encourage you, give you the fuel you need as sent people to be the church, the delivery means that God has for the good news for everybody, the people you work with, the people in your family, the people all around you, to be on mission with what God has designed us to be. So let me say a couple things, and I'm going to wrap it up. Three things. First of all, mission-driven change can catalyze growth. Mission-driven change can catalyze growth. Now, you have experienced this in your own life. Uh, the turn of the calendar year, you may have said, I need to lose some weight. I need to stop this habit or start this. And you've gotten on mission all of a sudden, and you seem to change personally. The same is true for organization, the same is true for church, but change only that's tied to mission can catalyze growth. Otherwise, it's actually a problem. You're creating more sideways momentum in the organization, more sideways momentum in your own life, and if it's not on mission and on point, we're actually dying, uh, truthfully, even though we're active. And so here's what I mean. A couple of years ago, Blast Leadership, uh, that's part of our kids' ministry here, they made a decision to expand and move Blast from this building over to the Together Community Center. The growth that they've experienced, not only in numbers, but also in their own experience of encountering people who are outside of faith in Christ and giving their kids hope and just developing meaningful relationships has been profound. If you haven't talked to our Blast leaders, you need to find them and hear some of these stories, and we keep trying to, to share their stories, but it's been an amazing change. Mission-driven change can catalyze growth. Same thing we had Katie Byler up here with uh, Suzanne sharing uh, the MC role a couple of minutes ago. So Katie's position. Stepping into this role of literacy liaison in our community has actually catalyzed growth for our community in a systemic way for P3 work, prenatal to third grade level. The, the, the kind of work that's being done now to help our kids in this community, whether they're Christian or non, doesn't matter for us. The kind of work that's being done now has been profound because mission-driven change can catalyze growth. We have some new ideas that we're looking forward to rolling out with you uh, for the fall of this year. Uh, in the next week or two, we're going to be rolling some of those out. They are in, an attempt to continue to draw on what does it mean to be the church here. And the church is meant to be the delivery means for the good news, 
for everybody. And so we have some ideas that we're still kind of nailing some things down, but look in the next week or two, and we're looking forward to rolling out, hey, here's some new ideas for the fall for us as a church to see where God would have us go. But mission-driven change, and if we're not, with some regularity, instituting some mission-driven change, we will ultimately not be heading in the right direction as a church. So secondly, this is a little more personal for you now. Hopefully this can be encouraging. Um, I want to encourage you um, to consider asking different questions as you come and drive to the church or engage with the church from how was church to how can I serve those around me with how church was. Instead of asking, hey, how was church this morning? Uh, you know, it was, it, it was whatever. It was good. It was bad. It was indifferent. It was the guy went long. He went too short, told a funny story. I have no idea. I got lost about three minutes in. Not sure what happened. We sang a song, but it was too loud, too quiet for me. I don't know. And I'm assessing or evaluating how the activities of the church were. I mean, I, I get that. I fall into that trap too. But it's deeper than that. That's not the mission of the church. Those are the activities of the church. The question around how do I be a mission-driven person is not just how is church, but how am I going to serve the people around me this week with how church was? <laughs> what songs did I just sing that actually they rolled through my heart in a way that, man, whew, the, the love of God is the foundation upon which I should anchor my soul when I go through times of weariness and struggle? I just sang that, right? I mean, I just sang those words, basically. So is that actually true? And if that's true, and I find that anchor point, like that's how was church? Well, here's how church was. I mean, church reminded me that God is, is an anchor point for my soul, and the love of God is powerful that I can build a foundation on that. And this week, man, I need to give that to somebody. Like, who's, watch out, right? Like, who's going to be in my way that I'm going to give that news? But who, who is it that I'm going to see? I'm going to have an opportunity to say, listen, in, the, in a, an appropriate way, I've been encouraged by, by like, let me, let me pray with you. Let me, let me have a conversation with you, just to remind you, if I can. God's love is a foundation on which you can anchor your soul through hard times. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. Here's what this means for me. That I want to move from just, hey, how was the activities to how can I take what I have learned, what I've experienced, and move that into my days. You know, I, I heard this morning that our kids... Um, the kids, I think, are downstairs, but the kids this morning were talking about this lesson of um, that you keep going through hard times because of what Jesus did for you, that we can find joy, hope, and strength in him. That's a good message, right? Keep going through hard times, find peace, joy, and strength in him. So the question becomes for kids, how do I do that this week? Who do I see this week? Um, our junior high, this is an incredible lesson that I think they should do every week. They were talking this morning about um, a character study of Timothy and Sunday's lesson specifically talking about never underestimating wise adults in your life. Isn't that wonderful? Particularly parents, maybe dads especially, would be a good, good thing. But so, so if that's true, right? If I'm in junior high, I'm like, well, that, is that true or not true? You've got to figure that out. Is that actually right or not? Do the people around me, are they trustworthy? Are they helpful? Is this right? And if it is right, if that actually is a good principle, oh, Timothy, never underestimating wise adults in my life. Okay, who are the adults in my life? I mean, do I have teachers who I don't like? They still got there for a reason, right? Do I have people in my life who maybe my parents have kind of like somewhat turned them off a little bit maybe? Like, is that wise to do? Like, if people around me are telling me these things, how can I take what I'm hearing and then roll that into the life that I'm experiencing week to week? Okay? Now, thirdly is this, and then I'm going to wrap it up uh, in an hour. Okay? Just kidding. <clears throat> kidding. For those who are new here, that will not be this long. Here we go. Third thing is this. The church should equip in a variety of areas. I just want to throw this out and let you know this is why we do some of what we do. Here's what I mean by that that your world, if you do not work at a church, 
your world is taken up primarily at work or at school right now. And few in other categories of taking care of grandkids and other transition periods of life and in um, health concerns and some retired years, okay? But a majority is spent in and around that time. When you do that, I, I need to think as a church leader, okay, you are not a professional Bible studier, for example. Like, I want you to know how to study the Bible, yes, and so we offer classes on that. Sure, we do that, and we want to continue to do that in our 9 o'clock hour, encourage you to figure out how do I get into the Bible and learn that. But you know what else I want for you? I want, as a church, I want to equip you to be an incredible leader, frankly. I want you to be an incredible leader in your business. I want you to be an incredible leader in your school. And so I want to figure out what resources can we provide for you, not just for me, but who can we bring in? How do we do things like work as worship, for example? Why do we do that? The reason we do that is we, want, we know that you, you are the good news to the people that you work with. If you're not a good leader, that is not good news. Right? Like if you don't lead your business well, that is not good news to the people around you. If you are not a good employee, that is not good news to the person who has employed you. And so I want you to be an incredible leader in the world of business. I want you to be a great leader in your school. I want your marriages to be good. Why? Not just because I want great marriages, which is great, but I, I, I know that the people who are around you are going to be looking to you and say, we're struggling in our marriage. I think you figured it out. What is going on? How can we strengthen marriages so that marriages have an end result, so that you pour in to pour out, pour in to pour out? I want you to figure out how to handle conflict resolution because all around us there's people who are fighting with one another. All around us, it does not take long. If you have a family gathering today, you'll find that in a hurry, I think. That we constantly figure out how to bump into each other. So I want you to figure out how, what does it look like to be someone who is, who is changed by the forgiveness and grace of God and then change people that way, to offer to my business, to offer to my employees, to offer to the people I'm around. So I'm not going to get involved in gossip. I'm not going to be bullying online. I'm not going to be doing these things. Why? Not just because I want to reduce that, but I want to equip you to be good news in every area of life that you're in. And so we want to equip in a variety of ways at the church, and that's why we do some of what we do here at GPC. All right? So with all that being said, here's part of the question that I have, and this will lead us into next week. <laughs> that is this. How... And if the church is God's delivery method for the good news, how can the church engage with a postmodern, post-Christian culture? If God's intent is that the church is to deliver good news to the culture that it is in, and what if the culture is both postmodern and post-Christian and does not honor the message of the church anymore? How in the world does the church swim up that stream? And that is what we're going to talk about next week. For today, I don't want you to confuse the activities of the church with the mission of the church. I don't want you to be stuck inside with momentum. I want you to be able to say, okay, what have I heard? How is it changing me? And how can I serve? Because I'm a sent person, a part of a sent church. To my coworkers, to my friends, to my neighbors around me. What is it that when I come, when I come and I gather as the church gathered, I'm gathering for my encouragement, my hope, my strength, yes. But I'm also gathering to be filled that I can pour out some of my cup this week to some people around me who need it, who they will feel, they will feel that this is good news, that Christians work with them, go to school with them, and live in their communities with them. Next week, we look forward to talking about how can this church in a postmodern, post-Christian world engage with that. Look forward to having you back next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning, to step back into the purpose and mission of the church and see you as ascending God who has always wanted his people to be called in to bless us, to be sent out to be a blessing, to be called in to be strengthened, to go out to use the strength in service. 
to be called in for hope, to be sent out, to be hope-filled. I pray that you would give us the courage that it takes to react to your attribute and not to be distracted by the activities, not to just be mindlessly engaged in sideways momentum and energy and activities, but to be intentionally moving forward with mission, particularly related to how are we doing and giving those who have no hope, those who have less strength, both strength and hope for the future. I pray that you'd help us to be on mission and on task as a church, to continue to carry forward the hope of Jesus and the grace, forgiveness, and redemption that he offers in every environment that we find ourselves in. We ask this and ask for your grace and your strength to move forward with this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.